0: The following program contains important but graphic material. These topics are designed to foster discussion, but may be objectionable to some. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Exploited! Crimes Against Humanity. This program is a training program on human trafficking, sextortion, and social media exploitation, and child pornography based on actual cases. Our mission is to eradicate human exploitation and bring predators to justice. Now, here is the host of the program, Opal Singleton.
1: Well, hello and welcome to Exploited Crimes Against Humanity. This is Opal Singleton. and We have an exciting show for you today. Uh, We have a guest that uh, has just years and years and lifetime experience in working with sex crimes and interviewing and sex crimes and uh, investigating and like that, and so we're really going to get into the weeds of it today. Before we do, though, I want to share with you that a million kids in the Riverside County Anti-Human Trafficking Task Force will be holding what I believe is just the best in the nation, a, a crackerjack Symposium of uh, really key experts across the nation. It will be January 11th. It will be in Riverside, California. Uh, it will be held at the Harvest Fellowship Christian Church. I think that's what they call it, the Harvest Church, which is Greg Laurie's church. And uh, I'm very grateful that they've loaned us just amazing facilities. We um, have some incredible speakers. One of them is Paul Chang, and he's the Western Regional Director for Human Trafficking for the U.S. Department of Labor. And he has been involved in some of the most celebrated labor cases out there. We're also going to have uh, DA Mike uh, Hestran, the District Attorney for Riverside County, who has a vast experience in prosecuting and uh, investigating and, and sex crimes and developing legislation about that. Uh, Our own sheriff, uh, Sheriff uh, Chad Bianca is going to be speaking. Uh, Another one that's on there is Lowell Smith. He is the uh, chairperson for the La Sierra University School of uh, criminal justice. I think that's what it's called there. Uh, Excellent individual. His background is in homegrown violent extremism and also some terrorism and working with gangs. And he and I will be doing a segment on gangs and trafficking. One of the really cool parts about this, though, is the task force itself is going to be in there. And we're going to have a case showcase. And each one of the investigators and and, um, deputies are going to take their most successful case and uh, they're going to share it with you. What were the challenges of investigating it? What were the challenges as far as getting the victim uh, first of all to safety and then uh, hoping that she will cooperate in our case the in the four cases that we're looking at they're all female victims. But some of the challenges because we've had several very large cases um, I personally was involved in. Uh, One case that had over 120 victims. And then we had a case that's going to be discussed where 28 teenagers were just literally branded across their faces with gang monikers and sold across the nation. So we're going to have some fascinating speakers there. If you're interested in going to this symposium Go to millionkids.org or go to Facebook and find Million Kids. It's millionkids.org, M-I-L-L-I-O-N, millionkids.org, and then uh, go in and register for that because this thing is going to fill up soon. Just in the first week, we already had a significant amount of enrollees. So this is this is going to be a real hotshot symposium. It's January 11th. Please save the date. Share it with everyone you know. And uh, I hope we'll see you there. So with that, I want to get into our speaker because uh, I worked with him a little bit on my other show. As many of you know, I have a Southern California show on AM 590. AM 590, the answer. (laughs) Anyway, uh, and uh, I was so impressed in the conversations we had. And uh, his name is Don Howell, H-O-W-E-L-L. He is uh, currently working part-time at the Huntington Beach Police Department. He has many, many years, uh, nearly 25 years, working with sex crimes of all kinds, including child molestation, rape, physical abuse of children. Uh, He's been involved in homicide and child kidnappings, uh, those kinds of crimes. Uh, He's worked heavily with working both with the the law enforcement in, but also the family and the therapist in. He's written uh, three books. Uh, One of them I've been kind of going through, and if you are a first responder or a therapist, uh, this book is an absolute must. It is um, not necessarily a uh, public-oriented book. It is for professionals, and that book is called Sex Crimes. Very simple, Sex Crimes. Uh, his name is Don Hal, and it is a step-by-step guide to effective interviewing of victims and suspects. And I'm sure Don will tell you that he can get, you can get these on Amazon. He also has one for the public beyond stranger danger. So with that, uh, enough of me. I want to jump in. And uh, Don, are you on the line with us?
2: Yes, Opal, I'm here. Thank you for having me again.
1: You bet. So tell the folks, I've given them a little bit of an overview, but tell them what it's like to be you and what you've done and and, uh, your expertise here because many of the people who follow here are first responders or people who are actually working in sex crime, so that will be important for them to understand your expertise.
2: Oh, Thank you. I I started in law enforcement in 1973, uh, probably before a lot of your your listeners were uh, born. Uh, I found real early on I had a fascination for sex offenders, having caught my first serial rapist, as it turned out, and trying to be a serial killer in 1974. But I spent most of my career, like, I've been in law enforcement almost 48 years now. And 40 of those years have been in, uh, in, as a detective. And wow. most of that time is working um, uh, sexually motivated crimes. When I was working full-time, that's what I did for 22 years, was uh, sexually motivated crimes. Uh, now I retired, but I came back part-time. And as a part-time mm-hmm. detective, I continued working sex crimes. I also worked cold-case homicides for quite a while, uh, and domestic violence and sort of whatever they need me to do kind of a thing now. Uh, so I ended up writing a couple of books. I learned a lot of stuff. Uh, I've lectured quite a bit. And I, I really enjoyed uh, the opportunity to be on your show here to, to take this information and give it to people so we can don't have to recreate the wheel every time we come across a, a sexual assault investigation.
3: Hmm.
1: We have about five minutes left in this segment since I kind of took over the first, so bear with me. But I would like to start out with your five trademarks of sex offenders because I think that that's important for a therapist or any law enforcement officer that may be starting to educate themselves about these kinds of crimes.
2: Oh, absolutely, absolutely. This is something I finally uh, had one of those Awareness moments one day when I realized it. When I was interviewing sex offenders, they seemed to do these five things over and over again. Uh, and they do them pretty much in sequence, but not necessarily. But during interview, and if you're interviewing sex offenders, uh, you have to realize that what they'll try to do, number one, their first trademark, is they'll diminish the severity of the event. If they molested their child 500 times, they'll say it happened maybe five or six times. Mm-hmm. Uh, if a if kidnap, rape, they'll say, well, I didn't really rape, or I just... Did some fondling or something? They'll diminish the severity of it, mm-hmm. and as a way to rationalize it, it really isn't that bad. The second one is they will blame the victim to some degree, mm-hmm. and and the in family molest this is always well all she had to do was say no and I would have stopped, mm-hmm. or the victim didn't fight till the death, or she could have jumped out of the car at any time, something like that. They'll try to find a way to blame the victim for what happened.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: The next is they'll they'll try to control the interview. You know, they like to reverse roles and try to interview me. Or go mm-hmm. off on tangents and then do anything uh, to keep from talking about the subject at hand. They, then the fourth is they, they will never tell you a hundred percent of what happened. They just mm-hmm. can't and they, they just will not tell you hundred percent. So as a as an interviewer you need to know that. If they mm-hmm. can't and won't then don't go for a hundred percent. be happy with 50 or 60 or 70 that's enough because mm-hmm. what happens if you shoot for a hundred percent he'll just stop talking. and so you Interesting. Just, you just understand that and then mm-hmm. the last one is, uh, they'll never tell you about crimes you don't already know about. They're not real big on volunteering information. <laughs> and when, when we talked uh, a few days ago, we talked about the man I arrested in 1974. Uh, I got him to confess to a burglary, rape he committed that day. Well, it turned out he was already a serial killer, but he yeah. had no op- no reason to volunteer that he'd already kidnapped, raped, and murdered. Tell us. Until-
1: Tell the listeners about that experience. That was so fascinating because you uh, you learned by by failure, as you said, uh, which we all do, and that's part of life. It, we've got about three minutes. Go ahead and tell that story.
2: Okay. I was a baby policeman, been on just over a year, and I catch, I'm working patrol uh, in uniform, and I catch a guy fleeing the scene. Uh, of a rape he just committed. the girl actually had to call in. It's the 74. She so actually have to dial the phone, the little rotary dial, you know. Uh, oh. And I catch him running down the street. Long story, get him into custody. And I get him back to the station, and I, I interviewed him. Uh, and he actually confessed to that crime, to most of it, not not, not 100% of it, but to most of it. Mm-hmm. And so we said, fine, good deal. Got him into custody. And at that time, sentencing was very minor for, for rapists. He got three years and was out in 18 months. But it wasn't mm-hmm. until 23 years later where I'm now wow. a detective in, in, in another city. And I read in the paper that, that he's been arrested, the same guy, Louis Walter Burgess, has been arrested in Missouri for kidnapping a woman and trying to rape her. And when they put his DNA into the databanks, it started to light up all over the country. Uh, mm. And it turned out he was a cross-country serial killer. And one of, the,
3: wow.
2: one of the DNA hits was for a girl who'd been kidnapped in the city of Monrovia uh, and raped, murdered, left, you know, left in the, the wilderness area. And that happened four months before, before I arrested him uh, on my mm-hmm. case. And so he'd already, at age 20, he was already a killer. And wow. I missed it. I, I missed mm-hmm. it, and the detectives who looked at the case, they missed it. And nobody realized that a guy who would knock on a door and force his way into a woman's home in the morning and rape her would be the same guy who would pick up a hitchhiker, get somebody off the street, take her out in the wilderness area, strangle her to death, and, and leave her uh, dead out there. Those are the wow. same people. okay. Even though know the quote unquote MO is different, uh, mm-hmm. the, the offender behavior is actually the same. And we didn't really look at that at the time, at the, at the underlying behavior. Um, wow. So that, that, that wow. was it. Like say, we missed him. Had I, had I realized or somebody realized who he was, we could have saved a lot of lives, I think.
1: Yeah, may I, and but then we also didn't have DNA in those days, so it, you know it's a little bit uh, easier today. Well, we're starting to come up against that break, folks. Our guest today is Don Hal. He is uh, had a lifetime experience in uh, investigating sex crimes and interviewing victims and like that. And the next section, we're going to get involved in. How you, how you interview a victim and, um, and you know, the kinds of things to look for. So we ask you to stay with us. This is Opal Singleton, Exploited Crimes Against Humanity. We will be right back.
4: Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, VoiceAmerica.com.
0: leaders and first responders about how predators use social media, apps, Crimes Against Humanity. Here again is Opal Singleton.
1: Well, hello and welcome back to Exploited Crimes Against Humanity. We are talking to Don Hal. He is over a 25-year veteran of working with law enforcement. He currently does work with law enforcement part-time down in Huntington Beach at the police department there. And uh, I'm, I, ju- I just l- Think the world of of uh, Chief Bob Handy down in uh, Huntington Beach Police Department. He's doing a bang up job. It's fascinating in my work because I look at all these cases every day, and I can tell which ones have crackerjack police chiefs. Uh, there, there's one going on right now in Fontana. And I haven't got over there to meet him yet, but boy, I'll tell you, the the stuff is coming through there. He's especially hard on uh, child pornographers, and I just think he's great. And then uh, the Chief Dyer up in Fresno, I guess he just resigned, uh, so he's going to run for office or something. But I'll tell you what, he went there, went through that thing with a Hoover vacuum cleaner, cleaning up those gangs, and uh, never met him, but I admire his work from afar, so... I appreciate having Don Howell on. He's written a book called Sex Crimes. I've pretty well worked my way through it. I haven't completely got there. But it's especially for first responders and therapists and people who work with both uh, children and adults in investigating sex crimes, and especially about interviewing the victim. So with that, Don, I'd like to just kind of turn it over to you. Share with us uh, the things that you have learned about interviewing victims of uh, sex crimes?
2: Well, there's a big question for you. Uh, it, it, there's a, so many uh, types of sexual assault out there you have to be aware of. And the more you understand the offender, the, the more the victim statement makes sense to you and you know more what to ask. But what you morally have is, is, is such a wide age uh, variety, from little kids up to you know, senior citizens kind of a thing. And so if you're talking to little kids, you know, like a grammar school age, maybe under six or seven years of age, you really have to understand that they accept the world as it is presented to them. Mm -hmm. Uh, That means if they're rich or poor, if they're a single child, or they live in a family of ten, live in a big mansion, or in a one-bedroom apartment, they just accept that as being the way the world is. Mm -hmm. So as an interviewer, I just need to do that. I just need to fit into that. I just need to say, okay, where is the kid uh, at uh, uh, socially? and just blend into that. I don't need to, to, to spend a whole lot of time explaining who I am and why I'm there and that kind of stuff because that's just not common in their world. Uh, mm-hmm. I like to have a, a a parent present when I interview little ones.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: I do a, a, a contact call. I'll give the kid a high five. How uh, how you doing? How old are you? Gee, you're, you're really big for your age. Do you like to draw? Then we'll go and start drawing things. And that's so, sort of it as far as introduction goes. And then get into... to uh, what happened in good touching, bad touching, You will identify body parts, that kind of thing you have to do with, with little kids. And that, that role from law enforcement has been taken away mostly by these child-friendly interviewing places who do a good job. Don't get me wrong, they do a good job. But that's kind of done um, by uh, social services now uh, because mm-hmm. of the uniqueness of the age of the child. Mm-hmm. But as you get older, what well, you need to understand, that this is the big thing I'd, I'd like to, to, to leave with your audience today, is that people who molest children are basically rapists. Okay? Right. They just select younger, younger victims. They're victims right. of opportunity. So That's if you're, right. you, have to, you have to look at a child who has been molested three times a week, every week for the last five years by stepdad, say, as being a rape victim. Right. Okay, they've been raped 500, 600 times. Okay? And what you mm-hmm. have is, is, a, is a serial rapist who is attacking the same victim over and over and over again.
3: Mm-hmm. So
2: that changes your, your, your point of view on the interview, because it's not, quote-unquote, just a molest. Right. Uh, the, the theory that had been promoted a long time when I started law enforcement was that if somebody only molested inside the four walls of their own home, they were just a molester and they weren't a, a sexual predator. Well, that's, mm-hmm. a, that's a big lie. Okay, <laughs> That's a big lie. This guy's a giant sexual predator. He's right. just attacking the same child over and over again. So if you're looking at someone who is a rapist, even if he's only raping his, quote-unquote, uh, unquote, unquote, only uh, raping his, his children, okay. you have to look for the, the six steps or the six phases of any sexual assault in their approach mm-hmm. contact capture, sexual assault itself, post-assault behaviors, and the, and the discontinuing of the suspect police the scene. You want to incorporate that in your interview. And what I want to do, I'll spend 80% of my time talking about what the suspect said versus what he did. Mm-hmm. Uh, the big mistake that law enforcement falls into is we spend so much time talking about the graphic details of the touching. How long mm-hmm. did it last? How this, that, and the other thing. We need that for crime elements. That's okay. okay it's okay to have that. But I want to know what type of sex offender this person is. And the, and the victim can tell us that. Uh, mm-hmm. They can tell us that. With, if you just let them talk and tell you how the relationship developed. Um, we did a case years ago involving a school teacher. Uh, who was uh, molesting the kids during class. And uh, so we talked to the girls, and, and they came up and said, yeah, he call us up during reading time. And he'd run his hands down the, the small of our back and into just touch the top of our underwear. And he would do this during reading class. And then we would go back to, our reading time, we'd go back to our, our seat. He did this twice a day, every day. So we got talking to him. What we're seeing, what the girls were telling us, is what we, is what we call pipeline, where he's looking for a, a, a child who is vulnerable to them. Uh, to him, to be molested, the child who won't pull away from the from the touching, who leans into him as he puts his arm around her, that type of thing. Right? So knowing that, the child has just told us volumes of who this person is. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, and what we want to look for is his favorite victim, the one who has been drawn into the pipeline, the one who's being currently molested for for weeks, months, years, whatever. Uh, and so you just ask the kids, uh, who's his favorite? And they'll tell you. They'll tell you who the favorite kid is. They'll tell you who, which child stays in the classroom with him during lunch, which child he drives home at the end of school, that type of thing. And then that you go target that child and go we'll talk to him, to, to her, him or her, uh, to find out more about what happened. That's where your, your uh, major uh, uh, victim is going to be.
1: So, uh, so you that, mentioned six types of sex offenders. Is that right? Did I, did I hear that right?
2: No, 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 there, there, there's many, many types of sex offenders, but there's six phases or six steps in a sexual assault. Okay, uh-huh. the, from the beginning to end, uh, the end, the assault, and you want to find all of these during your interview with the victim. Uh, how Can did you he give approach us those? What's that?
1: Can you give us those?
2: Oh, sure, sure. Uh, there, There's the approach. Uh, how did he approach the victim? Did he bring her a drink at the nightclub? Did he jump the back fence and find an open window and break into the house? Uh, did he... Uh, is he a coach or a, in a a teacher or somebody in a position of authority? Somehow, somehow he is is has some of initial contact with with the victim, be it a, a child or an adult. Uh-huh. They have the approach. You want to find out how that happened. Then you have contact. This is when he he first acknowledges or uh, expresses what he wants to do. You know, do what I say. Do what I say. Don't make me hurt you, kind of a thing. You know, uh, I, I'm here to uh, rape you or attack you or. He, uh, let's play my secret game. Take your clothes off. That kind of thing. Where he actually announces uh, the crime. Okay. Then you have what what I call capture, and capture is is can be a physical capture. It can like hit you over the head, knock you out, kind of a thing. But more often than not, it's a psychological capture, where the mm-hmm. victim doesn't know what to do, and so they acquiesce to the assault and they try to negotiate their way uh, out of being hurt or killed. Uh, mm-hmm. And once that happens. Uh, the victims, especially adult victims, have a tendency to stop thinking about escape. And so they will do all kinds of things that sound, quote-unquote, dumb, end of quote when they had an opportunity to run away, but they don't because they've already been psychologically captured. And that's real normal. We gotcha. look for that quite a bit. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Now that, this is why they'll, they'll uh, be captured by the guy and he will say, hey, go to the ATM machine, get me some money, and, and come back. So you get out of the car, go to the ATM machine, get some money, come back, get in the car, and drive off. And the, and the assault continues. Uh-huh. But that's they're psychologically captured. And that's what they're telling you um, mm-hmm. uh, when when you hear those kind of statements. Okay, so you got to approach, contact, capture. Then you have the sexual assault themselves. This is actually the sexual acts. What what does the guy do? And we need to know how those happen, the sequence in those, and the dialogue that that, that happens after capture and, and during the assault. Um, it'll tell us what the fantasy is, what type of sex offender he is. And the sequence of the sexual assaults will tell us if he's a, like a, your routine power rapist versus an anger rapist, that type of thing. And so we need to know what physically happened for filing criminal charges, but I'm really interested in um, the relationship, if you will, or the dialogue between the two of them. That, that, that's mm-hmm. really important stuff to me. So you've got mm-hmm. approach, contact, capture, the sexual assaults themselves, you have the mm-hmm. post-assault behaviors. And most of the time, the sex offender will just run away, or he'll go back to his bedroom, or he'll... Uh, tell him, you know, it's our secret. Don't, you know, don't tell anybody. Don't call the cops, or I'll come back and kill you. That type of thing. There's some sort of post assault behavior.
3: Mm-hmm. Occasionally,
2: you'll get a guy who is a cuddler, who wants to, you know, brush the woman's hair, make him breakfast, lay in bed with them, and, and cuddle him, tell him what a, a nice guy he is. That type of a thing. That that happens occasionally. Mm-hmm. Um, that's relatively rare stuff. That's a post assault behavior. Then the last one is when the, the, the offender actually discontinues contact with the victim. He runs away. And that's important for us because he may drop evidence along the way if it's a burglary rape. Okay, we want to know, did he prepare an exit? You know, he broke in through a window, but he unlocked the front door, that type of thing, you know.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, he just go about his business as he drive the victim back to where he first contacted them? That's real important. Very, right. very important stuff. Because it tells us his fantasy is this has been a, uh, been a date and he's taking her back home. It's mm-hmm. real important stuff. And with the child molest stuff, it's usually, you know, go play, or go do your homework, or don't tell your mom what just happened, that kind of a thing. And so he just continues the the assault, but may continue to be a stepdad or something like that in the family. So Mm -hmm. in in the interview, you want to cover all six of those.
1: Okay. Uh, Uh, Don, we're up against that break already. This one's going very fast. So, folks, stay with us. We're going to be right back. We are talking to Don Howe, and it's all about investigating sex crimes. We'll be right back.
0: Crimes against humanity. Here again is Opal Singleton.
1: Well, hello, and welcome back to Exploited Crimes Against Humanity. Our guest today is Don Hal. He currently is a part-time investigator over at Huntington Beach Police Department. Since this is a global show, I need to outline for you what that means. That that is a, a suburb of Los Angeles, if you will, uh, probably about twenty-five miles south of Los Angeles. And uh, he has been doing this for about 25 years. Uh, you can reach him by going to DH Lectures. That DH probably stands for Don Howell, H-O-W-E-L-L, dhlectures.com. I'm sure that there's you can go to an info on there. He has a couple of great books. He actually has three books that you'll see on there, but The one that I highly recommend for first responders is called Sex Crimes, a step-by-step guide to effective interviewing of victims and suspects. He also has one for parents called Beyond Stranger Danger. But since this show is for professionals and first responders across the United States and the globe, I really, really highly recommend that if you are working with children that you think have been violated or that have been violated, if you're a a therapist or a social worker or law enforcement or any of those kinds of folks, medical personnel, uh, uh, even youth pastors, I highly recommend that you go to uh, Amazon.com and order sex crimes by Don Howe. Now, with that, uh, Don and I were talking at the break. We want to talk about something that he calls anti-logic. So, Don, you want to fill us in on that?
2: Yes, well, uh, I appreciate the opportunity. Anti-logic is a term that I came up with to try to, to describe the suspect behavior during the actual sexual assault itself, because sex crimes don't make sense. They're they're not logical. Uh, mm-hmm. And so you have to look at them in a, in a, uh, from an illogical point of view. Why would an offender be in the public library with a hundred people watching, and all of a sudden he decides to expose himself to in the middle of the library? And what you have is he'll focus on one person that he sees that he's attracted to, and he becomes so focused on that uh, that he does he doesn't see the other ninety-nine people in the room.
1: Interesting. Why does he do mm-hmm.
2: things that, that that seem really out of context in the in the and the part of the sexual assault. And once you realize that he's operating in a uh, the world of anti-logic, think of it as a sphere or a ball like you'd see in a sci-fi movie. And inside mm-hmm. there is where the crime occurs. His mm-hmm. the behavior, the psych- psychology of the event is occurring inside this, this uh, special effects ball. Outside of that is the world of logic. Inside is the world of anti-logic. When the sex offender is inside the sphere acting out the fantasy or acting out the, the, the sex crime, he has a difficult time thinking logically, so he has a difficult time problem solving, mm-hmm. okay, which is, is is real important for us because you'll see that the victim interview will tell us when he kind of stumbled and stopped and stammered and he didn't know what to do because I threw up, I, I said something to him or threw out a, a, an obstacle, a roadblock that he didn't know how to deal with. Uh-huh. So as a victim, if you're trying to defend yourself like against a sex offender, you want to throw out a lot of roadblocks just to confuse him, okay? That's uh-huh. one of the self-defense the things we use here. But this is real common where a guy breaks into the house, he finds a woman in bed, but he stops during the assault because the telephone sets on. Uh, and this is actually a real, from a real case, and he didn't anticipate that the TV set was on. Now, uh-huh. he's not trying to conceal his identity by any means. Uh, he mm-hmm. doesn't wear a mask or anything because, again, the frig fantasy... He doesn't need to in the context of the rape fantasy. But having the TV set on is something he can't deal with. And so he either stops or he covers the TV set up instead of just ignoring it and then continues with the rape. This is the guy who will break into the house thinking that the woman's going to be home alone on Tuesday night. But lo and behold, she's there with a boyfriend. But mm-hmm. he, he should just leave. But he's so focused on committing the offense that he goes in and tries to attack her anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, he'll get on his hands and knees and try to, you know, fondle her without being seen by the boyfriend. Okay, these things are anti-logical. It doesn't make sense. But in the context of the, the the need to commit the sexual assault, it makes perfect sense.
3: Mm-hmm. So when
2: the, your your sexual assault victim is telling you things like this, you go, okay, that makes perfect sense. He's in the world of anti-logic. She's telling me something she would not know if she wasn't in the presence of a true sex offender. And it tells me a lot about how powerful the fantasy is uh, that, that's driving. Uh, this guy. Mm -hmm. So when I I get down with him later to interview him, I know that he's a fantasy-driven offender, and so I'm going to play that card. I'm going to try to get him back into the world of anti-logic. If I can push him into that world by going through the five trademarks, uh, by getting him to diminish, I'll try to lead him into that. Then once I get him into the world of anti-logic, he'll start talking like a sex offender and try to explain it to me, why it was okay to rape her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which brings, which brings out the underlying uh, of rape fantasy, uh, which is. Me,
1: I don't want to throw you off here, but let me uh, in, interject something or ask something here. I have for a long time studied uh, child pornographers. Who yeah. are they? What do they do? Why do they do what they do? And one of the things that I'm always blown away by. Now, some of them are just you know uh, un uneducated, you know those kinds of folks. But many of them are highly accomplished people with PhDs or, you know, they have they have excelled in life. Uh, you know, they have high-level positions. They're very disciplined. They're very intelligent and like that. And yet they will take photographs of children who are being violated and put them on, like, the church computer if that's where they work or, you know, the company computer or even the hospital computer if they're a doctor or or. or do something uh, that it just makes no sense. Is that what's going on? The fantasy has so overtaken their their uh, behavior that they lose all logic.
2: Well, we have two things going on there, in my opinion. You have two different things. You have the anti-logic, where they they to them it's not uh, uh, it's not a bad thing. To them, their their says, It's okay for me to look at these images. It's okay for me to fantasize about rape. To them, they don't get it as being. Uh, something that's wrong or immoral or illegal even. The other one is is they literally, quote-unquote, don't get it. Mm-hmm. The, the same misfire, if you will, in the brain that allows them to be sex offenders, that allows them to look at a four-year-old and see that child as a sexual object or to think that that woman's passed out uh, drunk and so it's okay for me to go over there and have sex with her even though she's just you know passed out and can't consent. That same misfiring in the brain also allows them to not get it, to not understand that I shouldn't put this on the computer here. You know, I shouldn't leave it lying out on my desk. I shouldn't be sharing it with people who for probably law enforcement or whatever, right? Now, they just don't get it. This is the same reason why sex offenders will come in and talk to me. Mm-hmm. I'll call them up and say, I want to talk to you. Okay, and they come right down. You know, and they talk to you and they end up confessing and they, don't, they never leave. It's okay, the, the same thing that they don't get it. Logically, you would think, if I'm the most wanted serial rapist in town, I'd be on the first plane to Venezuela or someplace, right? I'd, I'd get <laughs> out, of, out of here. But yeah. they don't. They, they, uh-huh. they stay in town. They, they don't get it. They don't really realize that what they're doing is wrong. At some level, right. they, they do, but they really don't get it. They think it's okay. It's and some a, it, of them are so, so arrogant that they, that they will just sort of thumb your, their nose at you and think
1: they yeah. can get play with it. I, like like you were saying in your attributes of uh, sex offenders, uh, it is always interesting to me how it, it seems minimized, diminished, especially related to child pornography. That it, you know it's okay kind of thing, and now that they have social media, where they're coming together as a society, as a community, and embellishing each other, and going in the dark web and trading stuff like that they will over and over minimize that. And uh, even when they're caught, it was like, well, you know, it's, it, it's not that big a thing. And I saw an interview with a sex offender um, at a conference I went at. I, I, that guy, I, I mean, this will make my audience sick, but I couldn't believe it. This guy swore up and down this four-year-old was propositioning him right and uh, minimizing that exactly as you say.
2: Right, and there's a type of sex offender at least called regressed pedophilia uh, who, who sees himself as, as the victim, who sees the, the child as the sexual aggressor, which is an interesting thing for me to know because that's how I'm going to interview him. I'm going to play oh. that card and see if, you know, see if I can get him to pass up to it based on that. But yet there's a tremendous amount of arrogance, a tremendous amount of self-entitlement mm-hmm. uh, with these guys, and they really don't get it. They, they, they seem to think that it's okay uh, to do these things, the basic rape fantasy is that it's okay to rape women because once you use enough force to get them to, quote-unquote, consent, end of quote, they'll enjoy the event and they'll fall in love with you and right off in the sunset and live happily ever after. So to oh. the sex offender who's collecting pornography, it's like, well, it doesn't harm anybody. The kids, It's just a photograph. The kids have already been photographed. What's the problem with me, with me looking at it? Mm-hmm. The harm's already been done, and so no harm, no foul kind of a thing. There's a tremendous wow. amount of rationale, uh, uh, rationalizing going on and a tremendous amount of self-entitlement. It's okay mm-hmm. for me to look at this because I'm special. Now, uh, do you uh, think so that
1: the fact that they're joining together in communities and sharing these photos, it really takes that to a whole new level?
2: Well, it reinforces them. That, 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 that if I'm looking at it, he's looking at it, we're all looking at it, therefore we're all, we're all fortifying the idea that it's okay to look at these images, even though mm-hmm. it's the, you know an image of a child being molested. Uh, or a woman being raped, or whatever uh, it is, it, yeah, it reinforces that it. it's okay because it's, it's not just me doing it.
1: Right. Yeah, right. I saw, uh, One of the trends that we're starting to see in child pornography is uh, pay-per-view live streaming, where a group of pedophiles meet in the dark web and they form one of these 10-minute kind of things where they all get together and watch a child be molested in a third-world country. They direct it, they talk about it, they share it, uh, they're paying big money for it, by the way. Uh, you know, some cartel, some some organized crime is making a lot of money while that's taking place. But it it uh, seems to me to take that pedophilia to a whole new level, where they're able to share this back and forth.
2: Well, either you know, to me, pedophilia is really rare, but it's a fetish of some sort. It's like having a foot fetish or something like that. This is a a paraphilic behavior that they're that they're uh, looking at, and to them. It's no different than in the human trafficking where you have a 12-year-old girl being prostituted on the street, and an adult male comes by and says, well, it's okay to have sex with this 12-year-old because she's just a prostitute. Okay? Mm-hmm. And that's the rationale. She's just a prostitute, therefore it's okay. It was actually child molested is what it is.
1: Oh, okay? no kidding. It's rape.
2: But what you have in the third world, or these guys watching these third world videos, they're saying, well, it's just a child in the third world. They're just a prostitute. That's just what happens there. Therefore it's okay. I'm not harming anybody. A, gotcha. And, again, you're in, you're in the world of anti-logic here, okay? You're yes. trying to explain, you know, nonsense, sensically, you know. Yeah, let me stop that.
1: you here because we're up against that break. The segment went so fast. We're talking to Don Hall. He has a book called Sex Crimes. You can get that at Amazon. We're up against that break, so we'll be right back. This is Opal Singleton host of Exploited Crimes Against Humanity. Did you know that every day in America more than 9,000 kids are sextorted? That means blackmail with an illicit or naked photo. This does not have to happen. Me and Kids has been educating in schools for over 8 years now, and it is my dream to make a documentary that we can give to free to every school in America across the nation to educate our kids about how the internet works.
0: Crimes Against Humanity. Here again is Opal Singleton.
1: Hello and welcome back to Exploited Crimes Against Humanity. This is Opal Singleton. And this show is brought to you by Million Kids. That's M-I-L-L-I-O-N, millionkids.org. We would encourage you to follow us on Facebook and also be sure to uh, follow ExploitedCrimes.com. All of these shows are archived at ExploitedCrimes.com. Just go to Listen, go all the way down. You can share this show with anyone you know. Uh, you can downplay it. You can replay it. You can you can pass it around, get it out to as many people of, as necessary. We are talking to Don Hal, and Don is a has spent a lifetime interviewing uh, and being involved in investigations of sexual assault. And uh, with that, I want to now, uh, first of all, I, I want to remind you that he has two excellent books, especially if you are a first responder or a therapist. Please go to Amazon and look at Sex Crimes by Don Hal. It's all about how to interview victims, um, you know, the various aspects of, pe- uh, of the uh, pedophile and like that. So uh, this is our last segment. Uh, Don, let's talk about pedophiles. Who are they? What's the myth? about them?
2: Well, I, I, I appreciate the question. I really do because pedophilia is, is, in my experience, is relatively rare. Uh, people think that if someone molests a child he has to be a pedophile. Well that's really not true. And if you're a, a a law enforcement person like me and you and you and you wanna think that he's a pedophile, you may miss him and you may miss some interviewing opportunities there. But a, a pedophile is someone who has a true sexual preference preference for pre puberty children. Preference pre puberty. For that mm-hmm. to be your true the truly way your brain is wired to have a preference for pre puberty children is relatively rare. You need to contrast that to somebody who can't perform sexually with any victim of opportunity. Okay, two totally different people, two totally different interviews, because you have a lot of people who can't perform with children, teenagers, adults, senior citizens, whatever. They can perform with anybody, uh, but it has nothing to do with their true sexual preference. Mm-hmm. What we have uh, is a lot of people who will um, assault their grandchildren or their stepkids or their, you know the, whoever, their you know, you know, children, who don't have a preference for that. So we'll see okay. them molesting a child starting when they're age 8 through, say, 14. So you got pre-puberty and post-puberty. If you have mm-hmm. that, there's no pedophilia. You have some mm-hmm. other type of offender, which is normally a, a socially indiscriminate guy who just like, if I can get away with it, why not? Or he's actually a rapist of some, of some type. And so your interviewing has to be different when you're dealing with that guy. And when you're de- sitting down with, across the, the, the table from him, I have to realize he's not a pedophile. If he is, then I put on my pedophile interview hat, and we go down that road. because uh-huh. okay, the the big thing law enforcement has to understand. Okay, and this is another one of the truisms that I developed. Uh, it came to me one day many years ago, is that different types of sex offenders do not like each other. Okay? Mm-hmm. They don't like each other. Right. And so a pedophile doesn't like a rapist, and a rapist mm-hmm. doesn't like a pedophile. Pedophiles don't like hebe files. Hebe files don't like phoebe files. Uh, power rapists don't like anger rapists Anger rapists don't like sexual sadists Sexual sadists don't like anybody I mean, But they all don't <laughs> like each other mm-hmm. okay? and So what you want to do is, is you want to play that card You're not a pedophile You're not one of those people who has a preference for little boys You're just a rapist okay? <laughs> You're just somebody else Be a little uh-huh. more subtle with that during the interview You kind of smooth kind of right. that one a little bit But right. if you think that everybody who's having sex with a child Is a pedophile You're going to miss the interview opportunity Because if you interview them like he is a pedophile and he's not, he's going to go. I'm not one of those weird people. What are you talking about?
3: I'm not
2: going to talk to you. You know, what are you talking about? This is nonsense. Okay, I get it. Uh, And and so you'll miss the point. And if he is is a pedophile, you want to play that uh, because their fantasy is that uh, they want to be accepted into the world of the child, and then the the sexual stuff just happened. You know, as a part Mm -hmm. of being accepted into the world of the child.
1: It's fascinating. We are we are coming to the close of this interview, uh, folks. I'm going to tell you this is just the tip of the iceberg with this gentleman. I highly recommend that if you are a first responder or if you are a therapist or anyone that deals with – or a social worker or even a, a youth minister or anyone that deals with children or adults in sex crimes – that you buy the book Sex Crimes by Don Hal. go to Amazon.com and buy that. You can reach Don uh, or see more about this at dhlectures.com, dhlectures.com. And this show, if you want to share it, is archived at exploitedcrimes.com. Go to Listen, go all the way to the bottom. You'll see the title on it. And I would encourage you to uh, share this show with anyone that you know, especially if you work in this business. This man is a true expert. He has a lifetime of interviewing uh, a variety of people and understanding what their problems, what their issues are, and getting them to be able to disclose what is happening. And also working with the victim. This is really, really a challenge in this day and age, especially, as we all know, with sex trafficking victims, but also minors that have been violated. So his name is Don Howell, H-O-W-E-L-L. You, again, can reach him at dhlectures.com. And I'd encourage you to purchase this book called *Sex Crimes*, uh, written by Don Hal. So this is Opal Singleton. The show is brought to you by Million Kids. We'd encourage you if you are. Uh, anywhere around California, or or even further out, there's a lot of people that are coming from other states to attend our symposium. That is January 11th. It is going to be seven hours of hard hitting information by some of the nation's biggest. Experts out there on all kinds of subjects. We will be talking about sex and labor trafficking, but we're also going to be talking a lot about the advanced technologies that are impacting all of these crimes and how it's going to change the future crimes. Things like artificial intelligence and mass audience live streaming. And right now we're in a global cryptocurrency war where they're all converging with mass audience live streaming and encryption. And we're going to be talking all about that as well as should we legalize prostitution? And that will be by Dr. Julie Taylor, who is a true expert. So mark your calendar January 11th. Go to millionkids.org. Sign up and register. And we appreciate it. Well, Don. John, thank you so much for being our guest today. You've been fantastic. Uh, I appreciate you a whole lot. Folks, we are out of time this week. We would ask you to uh, please follow us at Million Kids on Facebook and share this with everyone you know. We'll see you next Thursday morning, 7 a.m., California time. You folks have a great week.